Welcome to Thrive Podcast. Here, you'll find our weekly sermons, songs, and different other types of content. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. So we're on the Great Commission series. We've been going through the who, what, when, where, why, and how of discipleship, right? So far, we've covered the who, what, where, and when. Today, we're going to cover the how of discipleship. How do I make disciples, right? So Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 have kind of been... The verses we've been going through in the series, I'm sure a lot of you have already heard of it, but let's go through it one more time. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today I'm going to read a story about a guy who doubted the how of his calling. He doubted, how could I do what God is calling me to do, right? So I'm going to ask you to turn to Judges chapter 6. If you guys have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 6. Even if it's on your phone, that's fine. So to give you guys some context, I'm sure you guys have heard the story of the nation of Israel going to the promised land, right? For so many years they spent in the wilderness walking around again and again. I think it's 40 years they spent in the wilderness. And then finally, God gave them the opportunity to go into the promised land and do everything he promised for them, right? But what's the first thing they do when they get into the promised land? They forget about God. They completely abandon everything that they promised they would do, and they turn to other gods, other idols, right? So every time they forget about God and start worshiping other idols, God gives them into the hands of their enemies, right? It's kind of like a parent gives their teenage daughter a house, right? Take care of the house, make sure no one gets in, don't have any parties, right? The minute that she gets the house, what does she do? Throws a bunch of parties, lets everyone in, forgets about their parents, right? So God says, okay, I'm going to lift my protection, and I'm going to give you into the hands of my enemies, right? And that's exactly what happens again and again and again. So here we're in the middle of a story where the nation of Israel are under the enemy's hands, and they're like, God, why are you letting us be in this situation, right? They're the ones who caused it, but they're blaming God for letting enemies overtake them. So God said, you know what, I'll appoint someone to lead an army to overtake the enemies, right? So I'm going to start from Judges chapter 6, verse 11. If you guys would go there real quick. Chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Excuse me. Uh, That belonged to Joash that Bizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have, save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for giving me this opportunity to teach, Lord. I pray that you will speak through me today. I pray that we will learn more about you, pray more about discipleship, and understand you better. Most of all, I pray that you will be glorified through all of this. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, let me tell you guys a quick story. When I was in my first year of college, I went to study computer science, right? 
I like coding. I thought it was fun. So I was like, you know what? Let me go study some programming. I'm sure it'll be great. So I get to school and they give me my documents, right? And my papers. And they give me a name tag. It says Bruxamon, my first name. And then under it, it said computer science and engineering, right? I thought it was a mistake because I did not sign up for engineering. I was like, ah, whatever. It's just a name tag. It doesn't matter. I get to my first week of class and then one of my classes is an engineering class. I did not sign up to be an engineer again, but I'm taking these engineering courses. So I talked to one of my professors and was like, you signed up to be an engineer. I don't know what you're talking about. So for some reason, when I was doing the application process, I signed up to be an engineer. So I was like, wow, I, I, don't, I don't know about this, but okay. So I said, you know what, I'll try it for a year. Let me see how this engineering thing is. If I like it, I'll stick with it. If not, I'll go back to computer science. So I get through my first semester, not that bad. I did okay for the engineering classes. And then I get to my second semester and they give us this pretty crazy project. They say, we want you to build a toy car. And that sounds fun, I'm sure, but it wasn't like those tiny ones, like, what do you call those, Hot Wheels, whatever. It was about like this big and they said, you have to make sure it can run in a drag race, Fast and Furious style. It can do a tug of war contest, number two, and it can do an obstacle course, right? I was like, I did not sign up for this. I just wanted to try this out for a year. Why are you guys making me build a car? I don't know anything about motors, torque, gears. What are you asking me to do, right? And I felt so overwhelmed and so underqualified. And I think that's how Gideon feels in this story today, right? He's saying, I can't do this. How could I do this? I'm the weakest dude in my whole clan. I can't do this. I don't know who you are, God, but I'm not doing this, right? That's how we feel with discipleship. How can I make disciples? I am really weak. I'm really shy. I don't think people like me enough. All these things come to our mind when we think, how can I make disciples? And I actually think we can kind of reverse engineer this conversation between Gideon and God to help us go back to the Great Commission and understand how we make disciples. So in this conversation between Gideon and God, I want you to notice two things. The first thing Gideon does after hearing God's calling is he doubts God's character. Look at what he says in verse 11 and 12. Pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where all his wonders that our ancestors promised us, told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. He's basically saying, Yeah, you know, my grandma told me you were really cool. They told us about how you took us out of Egypt and into the promised land, but we're in the hands of our enemies now, so you can't be that cool, right? You can't be everything people are telling us you are. But here... It shows us that God, Gideon has no idea who God is. He's never talked to him, never seen him before. It's almost like he's talking to a stranger. And that brings us to the first point of Gideon's conversation with God. Gideon's lack of confidence and understanding of God's character caused him to doubt, to doubt God's trustworthiness. If you don't know God, you can't trust him, right? How can we trust Christ if we don't know Christ? So that brings me to the first point. We need to know someone before we can talk about someone or trust someone. Remember that going on. Second person that Gideon doubts in this conversation is himself. God tells him, no, I'm sending you, don't worry. But how does Gideon respond? Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon says, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. This brings me to the second point from the conversation between Gideon and God. Our lack of faith and confidence in Christ will cause us to lose confidence in ourselves and in our calling. Let me give you an example. If my mom were to say, hey, can you go buy this for me real quick? Here's the money I'm giving you. Go. 
or she would say, I'll, I'll pay you later. I can trust her, right? Because I know my mom, she's the one who raised me. If a stranger walked up to me and said, go to this place, pick this thing up for me, and I'll pay you later. Would I trust them? Absolutely not, because I do not know this person, right? And if they told me to go buy something, I would have no confidence in this person's word because I don't know them. Same thing with our with the Great Commission. If we don't know who Christ is, we can't do what he's asking us to do. And that will make us doubt ourselves, the whole call, and everything we're doing through the whole process. So I'm really good at identifying the problems here, but I'm not really giving you guys solutions yet. So let me try to give you guys some solutions to how we understand Christ better. Going back to the Great Commission, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, now go make disciples of all nations. What's the first thing he says to do? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That gives us the first step to making disciples. Baptism. So what do we mean by baptism? The Apostle Paul in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What Paul is saying basically is baptism is the way through which we are connecting to Christ, right? Through his death and resurrection, we are brought together with who Christ is and what he has done for us. In the same way, a husband and wife are brought together in a wedding ceremony. We are brought together with Christ through baptism. And I'm not just talking about water baptism. Water baptism is the physical representation of what goes on through our spirit, right? When we are joined to Christ through baptism, we are joined to his death and resurrection to eternal life. So when we are called to baptize others, we're, call, we're called to join them to Christ, right? We're not just called to put them in water and then say, hey, go have fun, right? We're called to help them join themselves to Christ. That is what Christ means when he says baptize others in the name of the Father, the Son, and our Holy Spirit. Let's continue. What does Jesus say after that? And teaching them everything I have commanded you to do. Second point of making disciples. Teaching. We have to teach others about Christ. Now look at this. He says, teaching them everything I have commanded you. Not everything you think you should teach them. Everything I have commanded you. This is saying that they already knew what Christ wanted from them, right? They already learned from him. They already did life together with him. You know, they went on journeys with him. They went to weddings with Christ, right? They already knew what Christ wanted from them and what his commandments were. Same thing with us. To teach about Christ, we need to do life with Christ, right? If you don't know somebody, you can't teach others about them, right? For example, if I were to ask Nati or Kali to go represent me in a business meeting, I can trust them because they know me, they know what I'm about. But if I were to send someone else who doesn't know me, how can I trust you to represent me when I send you, right? Same thing here. The better you know someone, the better you can tell others about them. Now, the third point, I think this is very important. I think a lot of us mess up here daily, including me. In both Matthew and Judges, there's a constant reassurance that God gives the people he's sending. In Judges, every time Gideon doubts God, what does he say? I am sending you. I will be with you. He doesn't say, Gideon, you're so strong. Gideon, you're so handsome. Gideon, you're the best guy ever. He doesn't give him any reassurance about himself. The only reassurance he gives him is that I am sending you. Right? In Matthew, what does Christ say? I'll be with you till the end of the age. Always. Think about that. Both situations, you're not given reassurance about your character, your skills, your Instagram followers, you know, how much people like you, your popularity. None of that. None of that is what gives us reassurance. 
in both the Great Commission and Christ and God's commission to Gideon, the reassurance is God's presence. So that brings me to the third point. The most important factor of making disciples is remembering Christ's presence while we're making disciples, right? The moment we stop depending on Christ to make disciples, we start to lose sight on what the meaning of discipleship is. We start to make discipleship make making people like you more. If you're thinking, oh man, I hope I'm getting more Instagram followers from all the Bible verses I'm posting. You're forgetting what discipleship is about, right? This is all about pointing people back to Christ. If you start worrying about, man, I hope they like me more, or man, I hope I was more, I wish I was more confident, you completely lose the whole point of how to make disciples. So, to go back to that story from earlier, I was in my class feeling overwhelmed, right? I had no idea how I was going to do this project. The teacher gave us like, Two months to finish it. That doesn't seem that bad, but at the time, I was freaking out. I was like, how could I build a toy car from scratch? I don't know anything about motors, gears, none of that. One thing I didn't seem to comprehend is that the professor was going to teach me what I needed to know, step number one, right? Two, the professor was going to be there for my assistance. If I needed any help, she was there to help me the whole time. And third, it was a group project. I was not doing it alone. So any area I was lacking in, I could ask my friends for help in, right? So once we started the project, I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm not alone in this. This is not about me getting it done. It's about us getting it done together, right? Now imagine, if I had that much confidence in a bunch of teenagers and a college professor, how much more confidence should we have in the creator of the universe, right? So to summarize, when you go out and make disciples in your lives, remember these three things. Through baptism, you are joined to Christ. Therefore, when we are baptizing others, we are assisting them in unifying their lives with Christ as well. Point number one. Point number two, through spending time with Christ and his teaching, we are able to have confidence in his character and what he has called us to do. The more we get to know Christ, the more we can teach him to others, and the more we have confidence in the Great Commission. Right. And the third point is, throughout our journeys of disciple-making, we must depend on the Holy Spirit's presence and not on our own skills and ability. The more you try to make this whole disciple-making process a me thing and what can I do and what, what am I lacking and not what can Christ do for me, how can Christ help me through the situation, you're completely forgetting the whole point of discipleship. So with that, I finished.